Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you. I'm going to turn your attention now to the Gospel of John, and we're going to be going through chapter 15, the first seven verses. Um, I am going to read this to you, and then we'll unpack it together as we are making our way into the the end of the book of John, which is very exciting. So these are going to be familiar words to you, ones that I believe are easy to understand and hard to live. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll read the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we have had together to praise you, um, to come before your presence, to give thanks for uh, the ways you have met us in the week, to give uh, our burdens over to you. And we ask now, as we look at your word, that you would remind us again of your faithful presence in our lives Uh, and the ways that we can access you, the ways that we can um, come to know a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you. Help us to connect to you, the vine, so that we may live the best life that uh, we possibly can with you. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me also as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This past week... I, last weekend, I got the opportunity to go up to Portland, Oregon, and it was a funny experience because on the way there, I was having a conversation with my Uber driver about just how cold it was in Los Angeles. And then I went to Portland, Oregon, and I found what real winter is actually like. And so I just want to show you a couple pictures of uh, what it was like in uh, the place I was visiting. This is in coastal Oregon, a place called Gearheart, Oregon, right on the beach. And it was wet, but it, the, the, then it would freeze. So it was an ice storm. This is foreign to me, this idea of an ice storm. And there was ice on the beach. It was very exciting and surprising to me that you could go to the beach and there would be a layer of ice at the beach and it would be hard to walk down. This is my friend Edson as he's trying to walk down to the beach. And I realized that, you know, in my normal day-to-day life that there's no way I would have gone outside if this was happening in California. But since it was happening in Oregon, it was exciting, and uh, this is what people in Oregon do. They go outside. They do things regardless of what the weather is like. 
And it reminded me of just this concept as we were watching football games as well, of something that you can miss if you don't go outside. Maybe you were paying attention to what happened in Buffalo with the football games, that in the stadium in Buffalo, they had to cancel the game actually because it was covered in snow. And they had to, they, they decided what they would do is they pay people $20 an hour to come shovel snow out of the stadium in Buffalo. It didn't work very well. But there was one guy who had an extreme amount of fun, right? It made me think so much about this guy right here, which we see in every football game and that's cold anywhere in the world, right? Because they want to get on TV and they want to show how tough they are. But it, it reframed it for me in the sense of, okay, if you're going to have to be in an ice storm or in the snow watching a football game, you might as well go all in, right? Nobody is having more fun than this guy at the football game. And it's, it speaks to something I think is connected to our verse today just in a simple way that um, the reason I went up to Oregon is every year I unpack life with a group of guys. They all happen to be at least 10 years older than me or so, so they're a little further down the road. And as I listen to them share, one of the things I realize is that there's a spirit in me that sometimes wants to say something like, if I only get to this stage in life, then X will happen, right? But as I listen to them talk about their lives, I realize, no, we're just living, right? We're living the life we're in. You remember when you were a teenager and you thought, oh, if I could just get a car, my life is, is going to change radically. I'll be able to go wherever I want to go, do the things that I want to do. Or do you remember when you were single, maybe some of you are in this stage, it's like, if I just get a spouse, then things will be better for me. Or maybe you want to have kids and you're like, oh, I just, when I have kids, then I'll be fulfilled and have meaning in my life. Or then you had kids and you went, oh, if they just get out of diapers, then, <laughs> then I'll feel okay with my life. I'll, I'll get my life back. Or maybe even just keep going. It's like, I remember when you wanted to get a job and you didn't have a job, you finally got that job. You're like, maybe if I get that job, it'll make me fulfilled. Or uh, maybe if I could just retire, then I'll feel better about my life. Or maybe once I just get through caregiving for my parents that are, are on their last days, I'll feel better about my life, right? But the reality is, is that Jesus wants to teach us something different about dealing with the challenges of our life because when we think this way we're not present to our life we're not present to the actual life that we live we're wishing our life away hoping that the next circumstance will make it better instead of what Jesus is doing here as he's in the upper room with his disciples and now they're walking to the Mount of Olives and they're still having this conversation in the context of a time when Jesus is going to have to deal with something extremely hard, the hardest thing he will ever have to endure on earth, and he's teaching them that they're going to have to do hard things too, but that they can find joy in their life. How? By remaining with God through Jesus, by plugging into the vine, by staying connected to the vine. And so what I want to do is just unpack the background of this text a little bit and then see how it can apply in our day-to-day -day lives so that really what we could do is say, how do I see the goodness of God in the actual life I live right here and now in this place? Not hoping for some circumstance to change, but how do I find the goodness of God in the current life I live? And to start with that, what Jesus is trying to really teach his, these first disciples 
is something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When he begins with, I am the true vine, this is the seventh saying in the Gospel of John of the I am statements that Jesus says about himself. And he's connecting himself to the teachings of the Old Testament when he says, I am the true vine. He's actually saying there's something that was discussed in the Old Testament that I am actually embodying in the most uh, perfect way possible. Let me read to you two verses that come from the Old Testament to speak to this reality. The first one is from Psalm 80, 8 through 9. It says this, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You remember the Hebrew people, they were delivered from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. So actually, this is a scripture that speaks to a truth about the identity of Israel, that the symbol of Israel became a vine. Okay, and then that's the positive psalm version of what's being expressed in the identity of Israel. But as we get uh, further along in the Old Testament, we see that Isaiah really picks up this theme, but in a different way, unfortunately. In Isaiah uh, chapter 5, 1 through 2, it says this, Now I will sing a song for the one I love about his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, cleared its stones, and planted it with choice vines. In the middle, he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes, but the grapes were wild and sour. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's comparing himself to the nation of Israel and he's saying that actually the thing that is the true vine is actually your ability to connect to God through me. His blood that he's just talked about in the upper room with his disciples is the source of new life for the community. And he's about to walk to this place of the Mount of Olives where there's a wine press where he's actually going to enact the very thing that he's just talked about with his disciples. So he's in between telling the disciples who he is, this new wine that's coming into the world and actually bringing that into fruition through his actions. And really what this is revealing to us and to the disciples, is that Jesus is at the very center of everything. That they, they once thought God was, again, centered in the temple and you had to go to the physical temple in order to meet with God. Now we're seeing that Jesus is describing the reality that he is the mediator of heaven and earth. That there's nothing that happens in heaven and earth that isn't held together by Jesus Christ. And the way that he holds it together is through his death and resurrection. This was picked up in the Pauline epistles in places like Colossians, where uh, Paul writes, he is before all things, and in, in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. The implications of this idea are so vast and so important that just a few of them, a couple dimensions that I want to unpack with you. I think some of the ones that feel like they're at the very center of what could be helpful to you, but we could go on for a while with this idea. 
So let's talk about for a moment what this means, that Jesus is at the center of everything, at the center of our very lives, and what that could mean for us as individuals. One of the ways we might say it is that God is closer to you, that Jesus is closer to you than you are to yourself. That Jesus mediates you. That he is at the very center of the center of who you are. You remember when you were still curious about yourself? Or maybe I should talk to myself. Like there was, there was still assumptions that there was things to learn, things to grow, things you didn't know about who you were and who you would become. You see, this curiosity is still going on. It should be. That we can stay curious about who we are and how God wants us to be within the world, our true selves within the world, because Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. So when we get connected to Jesus, what happens? We learn more about who we are. We discover more of who we are and who we were created to be. Uh, a really smart theologian named Karl Barth wrote about this, unpacking Psalm 73, verse 23, that says this, Nevertheless, I, continually, I am continually with thee. Thou dost hold my right hand. He wrote this, What kind of thou is this? Speaking of the text, he's saying, who is the Old Testament talking about? The writer here saying, nevertheless, I'm continuously with thee. Who is this thee that's being described? Is it a man? Yes, indeed, someone with a human face, a human body, human hands, and a human language. One whose heart bears sorrows, not simply his own, but the sorrows of the whole world. One who takes our sin and our misery upon himself and away from us. So this is Barth looking back at the Old Testament saying, this is speaking of Jesus. And then he continues, one who's able to do this because he is not only man, but also God, the almighty creator and Lord who knows me and you much better than we know ourselves, who loves me and you much more than we love ourselves, he is our neighbor. He is closer to us than you, than we are to ourselves, and we may call him by his first name. This is what the disciples are discovering as they're walking with Jesus is this unbelievable truth that God who became human loves them more than they love themselves, knows them more than they know themselves and is creating a way for them to understand themselves in a way that they never could have dreamed for themselves before they were with Jesus. And so waking up from the illusion that we've given to ourselves, that we have it all figured out about us, and getting curious about ourselves by going to God about ourselves is so life-giving. It is such a source of life. In fact, it is the kind of thing that if we are not doing, it is certain that we will drift off into stinking thinking about ourselves, right? 
And Jesus uses a simple, obvious illustration to teach us about this reality. He says, if a branch is cut off from the vine, it cannot bear fruit. Right? So the branch can't go, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. It has to be connected to the vine in order for it to grow. To have the nourishing things that it needs in order to grow. To have the sunlight that it needs. To have the pruning that it needs. All of these things come from a simple posture of surrender, connection to God, and allowing God to work out the things that are on our heart that he knows that we need. Right? For me, in my profession, right, as a a pastor, I could look at C.S. Lewis and say, man, I will never be as great of a writer or a thinker as C.S. Lewis, but boy, sure would I like to do that. Make me that smart. Make me that meaningful of a writer. Make me that good of a teacher, God. Would you do that? Well, why is that foolish? Because that's not what C.S. Lewis did. He connected to God, and the fruit of him connecting to God was these great gifts to us of these books and these teachings. Or I could say, God, make me Rick Warren. I want to have the biggest church. I want to have the most impressive church. I want to have multiple churches. But what would be the mistake about that, right? That Rick Warren was going to God and connecting to the vine. And the fruit of that was this ministry. Now, I can't speak into your career or your life, but we could break this down into any dimension of your life because Jesus holds it all together. And he made you in a way where you can bear fruit in your way, in your specific context, naturally, organically, with him seamlessly, joyfully, if you're willing to simply connect him before you set out for your business for the day, or even more so, to remain, right? Have you ever had to carry a valuable thing? One of the only valuable things that I've ever had to carry in my life that really, really wore on me for a significant amount of time was a wedding ring when I was going to propose to my wife. For that day, because I was going to propose to her on a hike, I had to have that ring in my pocket. Maybe the men in the room can remember that day where they had to have the ring in the pocket. And what was it, guys, that you were doing that whole day? I know I was doing that whole day. I don't know what she was talking about. (laughs) I have no idea, like, even what we did that day. But I do remember that, that part of my continuous experience on that was just touching this pocket and feeling that ring in the pocket again and again and again and again and again and again to remind me it's still there. It's still there. What if we believe that we carry something so much more valuable than that every day of our lives as we go throughout our lives, that we have something access to something so much more powerful than that every single day 
of our lives. And, and, and the difficult things of our lives even more so call for us to remain in this vine, to connect to the one who is so valuable that can make our day so meaningful. So for a moment, maybe just give up that grass is only greener mentality that's so easy to get into. One of the teachers that um, I listened to said, you know, the grass is only greener, especially if you don't water your own grass. Right? If you actually are not living the life that God has called you to live in your current context, no wonder you want to live a different life in a different context. But Jesus says, if you remain in me, that you will bear much fruit, fruit that will last for all of eternity. The very people that you're with, the very people that God wants you to love right in your little community, that is where you make the most impact. That is where God is calling you today. This is all so much easier said than done, like I said. So maybe for a moment, would you just let me lead us all in a prayer of surrender so that we could spend a moment letting the things that are on our hearts, the things that burden us, the things that prevent us from wanting to love the people and the life that we have right here and now, um, that we would give them over to God so that he would renew and give us the life that we need in him. So would you pray with me? Loving Father, we surrender to you today with all of our heart and soul. Please come into our hearts in a deeper way. We say yes to your will today. And we open all the secret places of our heart to you and say, come on in. Jesus, you are the Lord of our whole life. And we trust in you and receive you as our rightful Lord and Savior and King. Would you help us to hold nothing back? Holy Spirit, bring us deeper into connection with the person of Jesus who lives at the center of our lives. We surrender all to you, our time, our treasure, our talents, our health, our family, our resources, our work, our relationships, our successes, our failures. We release it and let it go. And we pray in return, Lord, that you may fill us with this good life, this abundant life, this wonderful life that you have bestowed and made possible for your disciples. We belong to you. May we be amongst those who stay confident 
that we will see your goodness in the land of the living. Amen.